You are listening to The Fox, a podcast novel written and read by Arlene Radaski. Chapter 7 Jana, 74 A.D., April I awoke next to Laverne before the cock's crow. In a deep sleep, his chest raised and lowered with each breath. He wrinkled his brow, and I wondered what he dreamed of. I refreshed our peat fire and sat a small pot of water next to it. I sat bundled in my cape, waiting for the sun to rise, and held my slate. I had found the piece of stone on the mountain trail behind our hill. It was two hands wide and a small finger thick. I worked its imperfections into pictures that surrounded the labyrinth I had painted on it. Since seeing Laverne's memory bag in the cave the day of the storm, his labyrinth fascinated me. We grew closer during the time he taught me how to follow its path. The morning hours of our first days together were spent tracing it. Then I knew I should continue meditation on my own. I found my stone and began to paint my own labyrinth. Its course, a double spiral, was painted in the colors I loved, the red and blue I used to dye the clan plaid. The surrounding colors were of the nature around my home, the mountain behind, the trees around, the sky and birds above us. I did not like to let a day pass without at least touching the stone. I could create it with my eyes closed and follow the blue and red lines with my fingers. I often created its image in my mind when helping a person cross to the other world as I had for Surtic. It smoothed the way for my thoughts and the visions of the other world, if they chose to come. I tested the water in the small pot. Finally warm, I slipped off my nightdress, rinsed my face in its comfort, and as I ran my hands over my body, I wished they were Laverne's. I vibrated with the sense of the touch of his hands lingering on my breasts last night and the love-making that followed. The memory caused my nipples to become sensitive. My heart swelled with joy and wonder at the knowledge that we could be together for years to come. My thoughts rambled in a confusing tumble this morning. Laverne and I were handfasted one year ago today. We had not yet approached Bethan for permission to marry. There was no reason for this lack of action. Time just flew by too quickly. A year had passed. I knew I must speak on it soon. Bethan is not one to be patient, and he would want this day observed with a decision. I carried different feelings for Laverne than I had for any other man. When I accepted marrying Herald, I expected no more than performing normal chores and cooking his meals. With Laverne, my life was a partnership. He did not treat me like a servant. He and I discussed how best to heal and help our clan. He listened as well as taught me and often took my advice to his work. We were free to go where we wished and when we wished, yet I often followed along to learn from him. I knew I would be doing this work for the years left in my life. I wanted to do it beside Laverne. But if he decided not to marry me, I would continue to be a healer and a helper of souls. That was the gift the gods had given me. 
Laverne helped me learn how to use it, and I loved him for it. There was a fear in my gut. We made love frequently, and I was still not with child. Usually after one year of hand-fasting there was a child to consider. Laverne and I did not have that tie. This thought crept into my mind many times, and now, as before, I sighed, shook my head, and released it. I must allow the will of the goddess to be done. I will give birth when it is time, when I am ready. As Laverne says, when the goddess is ready. This morning, as I followed my labyrinth, I prayed a silent thank you to Belle and Morigna for allowing me to follow their way. I also prayed while my finger traced my labyrinth for a sign to help me make the decision we faced. Mother and Laverne were still sleeping. Laverne had come in late last night from a visit with a sick child. His day ahead was full, and I wanted him to rest as long as possible. I listened to the rhythmic inhale and exhale of his sleeping breath behind the hanging wool blanket, there for privacy, and to keep our sometimes messy and odiferous preparations of our medicines as far away from my mother as possible. Smoke and some odors worsened her cough. A spoonful of brew made from bog bean and the bittersweet nightshade three times a day, along with heather tea and sour milk, helped. She seemed to be sleeping better. We stored our plants and herbs used for the very ill at the hospice. We kept the dried and fresh herbs, plants, and other treatments we used for serious injuries and illnesses there. Our small room here filled with treatments for the clan's common illnesses. Hospice. The word still sometimes made my tongue stumble. Some of the clan would not use it and referred to it as Heralt's home. It was Laverne's word. He used it when he was learning the healing arts in his other home, before he came to us, to me. We tried to take care of our own in our homes, however some of the ill required more watching than the family can provide. The hours of the days filled with the care and feeding of our animals, and the sowing and harvesting of our crops, and the raising of our children. The ill sometimes pushed families beyond their limits. Heralt and Silius slept in the home given to this dream, the hospice. Laverne worked there, and when a clan member was close to death, I stayed too. It was my wish that our friends and neighbors would live long and useful lives with times of work and joy to share. But when the end of life was near, I helped create an easier path for the dying. I did most of this work at the hospice. After I washed, I was cold and pulled on my tunic and peplum. The nights were still damp and a breeze ushered in the early hours. I placed two small pots of clean water near the fire, one to boil barley and one for mint tea. While I prepared our breakfast, I listed in my mind my chores for the day. There was no one ill at the hospice. My morning was free. I would go to the river and gather some blackthorn. Its leaves were just coming and its white blossoms still were stark against the black bark. I harvested the berries in the fall. Even the dried ones we now have will stop the bleeding and small wounds. There were many children with raw throats. A wash of its leaves and blossoms steeped in boiling water and then cooled would ease this pain. I wanted to gather enough to boil in a large pot and distribute the tea tomorrow. I also wanted sweet heather, pungent juniper branches, and green ivy to freshen our bed. The ivy would keep lice away while the smell of the juniper and heather helped us sleep. 
I thought of lying next to Laverne on our newly freshened bed and smiled. I prayed the day would not be too busy for us to lie in it tonight together. While the barley boiled and the fragrant tea simmered, I heard Laverne stir. His lithe, sinewy body slipped under the hanging blanket. His trousers already on, he pulled his tunic over his head and shook his copper hair loose. His belt, a cord for his hair, and his memory bag hung from his teeth. After he tied on his belt and slung his bag on his shoulder, he leaned over and kissed me on the top of my head. He tied back his long hair into a red tail. May the goddess bless this day, he said as he stepped outside into the cool haze of a new spring day to carry on his morning routine. Mother awoke, her cough softer this morning. This pleased me. If her cough was deeper, I would have changed my earlier plans and gone to harvest and start her a tea of fresh, loose moor. The plant was available year-round, and we used it to ease the bloody cough. Mother had not yet coughed blood, but I knew she would. It was the progression of this illness. She cleared her throat, and after combing her graying hair into the thick plates she wore on top of her head, she came for breakfast. Laverne returned. We ate and discussed the day ahead. I am going into the woods to see if I can find him today. Laverne went in search of his namesake, the red fox, every year at this time. He often sat for a full day near a den, waiting to see the foxes. If I find one, I will do what is necessary to please the gods. Good hunting, my love, I said. He ran his hand over my hair and stooped to kiss me in a gentle goodbye and left. And so the day of our marriage began. I survived the sharp and hidden thorns of the blackthorn tree, boiled the infusion and stored it in small jugs, ready to be used by those with sore throats. The heather and juniper were fragrant in our bed. After giving mother her medicine, it was time to go to the hospice to see if word of new patients came in this morning. Sometimes people stopped by to tell us that someone in their family was ill and to ask us to come and treat them. I arrived at the hospice and greeted Silius with a hug. Peralt and I have used this morning to sweep the house and lay clean bedding for the next patients, she said. There was even time to go to the river and eat my midday meal. The sound of the waterfall and its peaceful surroundings renewed my spirits. I often wonder, do you and Heralt ever regret turning your home over to the sick? Do you miss the farm? I asked. No, we have never looked back. Remember, it was not our decision. Surtick commanded it through my vision. I have enjoyed being useful in other ways than farming. I am fulfilled with my work here and never regret it. Heralt tells me that his father's spirit has come to him in dreams, smiling, she said. We will never be unhappy with this choice. She stepped back from the simmering pot, lifting her dress out of the way of the fire. We hugged, happy our lives would continue this path together. Heralt and Laverne sauntered through the door, heads together, deep in conversation. Heralt hefted an armful of wood for the fire. Laverne carried in two hairs and his bow. Handing the hairs to Silius, Laverne said, They were there, sitting in front of me, asking me to bring them to you. I agreed, and now they are yours. Thank you, said Silius. She took the hairs from Laverne, lifted them to judge their weight, and said, I think it will be a good hunting season this year. 
It is early, yet these are a good size. The grasses are growing fast to feed them. Heralt took the hairs from Silius. I will skin, clean them, and return them to you. But I must know, Laverne, how many did you see? Is there a concern that we may lose many of our chickens? If it shall be a good year for the foxes, then I must be sure to keep our fowl in a safe place. I saw three yearling males. Each was on the prowl for mates. I am sure there will be females for them close by. Then Laverne smiled. I also saw a fox bitch with four kits. I am always glad to see them. I know Aramid is pleased as long as I continue to have my foxes around me. Aramid, said Heralt. She is a demanding goddess. She expects much sacrifice just to keep those foxes alive. Yes, said Laverne. She is the one who gave me my skills for healing, and sacrifices must be made to her. I cannot work if the foxes are not here, but I do not worry this year. They are here and well. Heralt said, I have heard your foxes are doing well. There are many farmers missing chickens and ducks. They blame the foxes and would trap them, but you have forbidden it. There will be many young kits for the bitches to feed this year. I will help you build a hut to keep your hens in. They will need protection. But you know many farmers will not be able to protect their animals in this way. They will lose food. Yes, said Laverne. It is always so. We will pass the word that if they are losing livestock to a fox, they may trap it. If it is a nursing bitch, let her be, but they may kill every other adult male. If that does not work, then come to me. I will help them build protection. Peralt nodded, picked up a skinning knife, and walked through the door into the sunshine with the rabbits. Silius followed him. I want to make sure he cuts the skin in a way that I may use it for a winter hat, she said. I will return soon. I touched Laverne's tunic. There is too much blood here for just two hairs. Did you find him? He reached his long arms around me and pressed his face into my hair. How is it you always smell of lavender? he asked, inhaling deeply. It is the same as you always smelling of acorns and beeswax to me. It does not matter what physical work you have done, even after sacrificing a bull. I still find that scent on you, just under your skin. It is you. As comforting as it was in his arms, I pulled back to see his face. A questioning look came into his eyes. I continued, Did you find him? His face relaxed into a smile. He took a deep breath and said, Yes, he was there. He was in the same glen as last year. He was sitting on a warm rock. His fat tail was wrapped around his body. He saw me before I him, yet he stayed. I was able to use one arrow to capture him and thrusted once to kill and bleed him. It was a clean sacrifice. He reached into his tunic and brought out a leather packet, holding at arm's length for me to take. I took it from him, unwrapped one soft corner, and revealed the red tail of a forest fox, Laverne's totem. The gods be praised! It is fine, I said as I ran my fingers through its long red fur. I wrapped it, handed it back, and Laverne tucked it into his tunic. It was to be displayed above the door of our home, one to be added each year. I buried his heart near the sacred pool, he said, 
in answer to my unvoiced question. I stopped there, near the waterfall, to pray and to wash his blood from my arms. I understand the farmer's disquiet, said Laverne. However, we must all make sacrifices to the gods in trades for our lives. For me to stay here, I must have the foxes nearby. I cannot have them killed, or I would leave. They bring me my dreams, Laverne said. Conan told me they bring the art of healing to me. They are my namesake, my sacred symbols. Laverne, do not be concerned about your sacred foxes. We will protect them. Our clan heeds your words, I said, my hand on his shoulder. I myself will go to the den and raise the kits if something happens to the bitch. Hearing a flurry of commotion, we turned and watched as a stout, red-faced man I recognized as Angus bolted into the room carrying his weeping boy, Torian. His heavily pregnant third wife and gaggle of small children followed him. Please, his appeals were directed to Laverne. Torian fell and hurt his leg. We gathered around the big man carrying the small boy, having had to part the crowd of children to reach them. Angus admonished Torian as Laverne took the crying boy into his arms. If you would do what I ask, the gods would not punish you in such ways. You must learn that you should get your work done and then go off chasing clouds. We will see what the injury is, said Laverne, and treat it the best we can. Herald, hold the boy's leg. Keep it as still as possible while I lay him on the cot. We cannot stay at home to care for him, said Angus. We are lambing and have to get the crops planted. We are needed in the fields. Torian cried out in pain as Laverne and Herald laid him on the cot. I saw Angus's brow crease at the sound of his injured son, and then he said, I sent him to clean the goat pen, but as usual he ran off. He never does what I ask. We always have to look for him. He runs off chasing butterflies or bugs. I hear him yell and find him lying on the ground under a tree. Can you help him? He looked at Laverne with pleading eyes. Silius and I kept track of the children as well as we could. Some of our pots contained poisons. Angus, take your children home. I will come after Laverne has done his work and tell you of the results, I said. Angus controlled his children. He left with them and his wife trailing after him like a father goose with his goslings. Laverne placed his hands on the boy's body to determine the injuries as I sat down next to him and held his small, dirt-encrusted, trembling hand and sang a lullaby. Torian calmed his crying to a whimper, his tears slowed in the paths cut through the grime on his cheeks, and answered Laverne's questions. The branch broke, Torian whimpered. I, I was trying to catch the bluest bird ever. That branch held me before. Ouch! Laverne touched the swelling bruise on his leg. Is my father right? Is this the god's punishment? Torian whimpered. Do you hurt anywhere other than your leg? asked Laverne. I bumped my head and landed on my wrist, but my leg hurts the most, the young adventurer replied. I watched Laverne's face, deep in concentration as he inspected the boy's other injuries. He ran his large, gentle hands over Torian's blonde-covered head and down to Torian's hand, where he looked over his wrist. Laverne's face softened when he spoke with the boy. The gods do many things to teach us right from wrong. 
It is good that you are interested in the nature around you and want to know more. But the gods say you must first obey your chieftain, then your father and mother, before you think of yourself. You should do your chores before exploring. Torian nodded in agreement. When you get better, Laverne continued, with your father's permission, I will take you into the forest and teach you more about nature, after your work is done. Suddenly all my doubt left my heart. In my eyes the hand of my own child replaced Torian's small hand in mine. I would give birth. I did not know when, but I knew I would have a baby. Silently I thanked the goddess. The boy nodded, his whimpering eased, and his tears stopped. I was worried about the boy. His left foot hung out of its normal position. A red, angry blood swelling raised one half the distance below his knee and above his ankle. Regret for a young life to be lived as a cripple washed through me. The result for this injury was at the very least a bad limp or maybe no use of his leg. I have seen some die. You have broken your leg, Laverne said. With a stern look on his face, he continued. This will take three full moon cycles to heal, and you will be restricted in your movements during that time. The bone inside your leg, the thing that makes it stiff so you can walk, has broken. Like this, Laverne said. Laverne reached down by the fire, picked up a small piece of kindling, and snapped it. The sharp sound made both Torian and I flinch. But look how the pieces fit together, Laverne pressed the broken ends of the stick together. This piece of wood is dead, but your leg is alive and the bone will grow strong again. We have to put the pieces back together like the stick and keep them there for three moon cycles to give your leg a chance to mend straight. If you do not follow my instructions and go off chasing a bird again, you may not walk with this leg or limp badly, lectured Laverne. Can you help him walk again? Silius's face was pursed in doubt when she asked this question. She voiced my silent concern. Memories of the damp smell of the cave and the sound of lightning came into my head. The night he told me about his journey, he also told me he studied with Kinsey, the healer who could make people walk again. Laverne can do this, I said with confidence. Peralt, please find four strong, straight Koran branches, the length of his leg. Laverne said in his teaching voice. Silius, we need four long strips of cloth to use as binders. Jana, boil some barley, thick, and mix it with honey. Add some of the dried mechandub. We will lay the bone-set mixture on the broken bone. We rushed to complete our assigned tasks while Laverne comforted the boy, told him stories of the gods' battles with giants, and dripped the juice of the red poppy onto his lips. The poppy juice was bitter, the boy made a face. After he swallowed, I knew Torian would sleep and not remember the pain. Peralt came in with the rowan branches, still removing leaves and berries from the gray bark as he entered. He laid them within Laverne's reach. Silius appeared with cloth ties. I brought the still warm poultice of barley, honey, and comfrey. Peralt, said Laverne, settle his head in your lap and hold his shoulders. Then he asked Torian. Are you still a little boy, or are you now a young man? Torian's shoulders straightened, his brows knit in defiance, and in a proud voice replied, I am a man. 
I have my own goat to care for. Ah, uh, I thought so. A young boy would be afraid of this injury, but I can see in your face you are not. This will be painful, but you will sleep. When you awaken, you will lie here in this bed for seven sunrises. We will bring you food, drink, and care for you in all ways. Only then are you allowed up with an aid for walking until your leg heals. If you do not heed this bargain with the gods, your leg will not heal straight. Do you understand me? asked Laverne. Laverne spoke in his straightforward way. He instilled confidence in those he treated. He always spoke the truth, and the people of our clan trusted him. Yes, whispered Torian. Torian's face, set in a determined grimace, biting his lip, seemed to get younger as Heralt settled his head and shoulders into his lap. Open your mouth. I inserted an oak stick soaked in vetch between his teeth. Now bite. The taste would distract him from what was about to happen. Laverne grasped Torian's foot and ankle firmly and pulled until the leg straightened. Torian screamed and fainted as we expected. I folded the poultice around his bruised leg while Laverne and Heralt positioned the branches and as fast as Silius could hand the cloth to them, tied them into place. Silius went to the fire to prepare the boiled loose for Torian when he woke up. The wart would calm him and stop the bleeding in the leg. He must have mistletoe tied in red thread under his head when he sleeps. The gods will lick in on this with favor, and his blood may not poison. Feed him ground-boiled apple, and be sure he has a few drops of the poppy juice in his water, said Laverne. Silius nodded and went to find the red thread and dried apple. A large shadow darkened our doorway. I turned and saw Bethan, our chieftain. He had not come into this dwelling since Heralt and Silius gave it to the clan in honor of Surtic to be used as a hospice a year before. "'Tell me what you are doing!' Bethan's deep voice shook the still air in the small room. "'Why did I hear a scream as I came into this yard? Is that boy still alive?' His eyes found mine with his last question. He gave Laverne and me the stern looks of a disapproving father. He was taking our measure. I think he felt the loss of the farm, but I knew the sheep that moved to the neighboring farm in Heralt's trade were giving more wool than ever before. The clan did not lose, but gained in this deal. He would not admit it. He was my uncle, and I respected him as a father, but I was always ready to defend our work if he questioned it. His silence was worse as it hid his thoughts. Good afternoon, uncle. It is good that you have come to see what we do here, I said, smiling as I walked over to the towering man, took his huge paw that dwarfed my hand, and proudly guided him to where Torian lay sleeping. Laverne has given this boy a chance to heal and walk again. Torian has broken his leg. Before this hospice, Torian would have been in his bed at home alone and in a fever with little treatment. He probably would have died, or, if he'd lived, he would not have use of his leg. Because of what Laverne accomplished today and the treatment he will get in the coming days from Heralt and Silius, this boy will live to be a free farmer or warrior for the next chieftain of our clan. He will outlive you, uncle, healthy and strong. Uncle Bethan grabbed me in a bear hug and lifted me off the floor. Ah, I see you still have the tongue of a brat, Bethan said. I am glad you have not grown out of that. 
You must cause Laverne many gut aches with your insolence. He turned to Laverne. Well, do you still want to marry this little bug? These midges can make a man very angry. Or have you changed your mind and found a pleasant, quiet mouse to warm your bed? Put me down, uncle, I whispered, though Bethan's laugh probably woke up Torian. You're crushing my ribs, and what do you mean a quiet mouse to warm his bed? Do you expect him to follow your example of not marrying and trying on all the single women of the clan? I will not allow it. Not allow it? asked Bethan seriously. Not allow it? Who are you not to allow it? Are you married? How can you not allow it if you are not married? Still in Bethan's grip, I heard Silius and Heralt begin to laugh and saw a grin break out on Laverne's face. Why was he grinning? Did he think it was a good idea to have all the unwed women of our clan to warm his bed? Laverne stopped laughing and answered, Ah, great chieftain, you are Mohrid, but I would never be able to call you more than a friend if I did not marry her. I wish to call you uncle. I have never had an uncle, and to have one as great as you would be a good thing. Hmm. Bethan grunted as he lowered me to the floor, my feet regaining my body's balance as he let go. Laverne came to me, leaned over, his face close to mine, and embraced my cheeks in his hand. My eyes looked up into his as he said, There are no others, Agoyle. My beloved, I want to marry you because you complete my soul. You healed my broken heart. I traveled far and outran many dangers to find you. I know that without you I would not be able to do the God's work, my work. I wish to make our union permanent and marry you. My heart swelled with love at his words. Standing next to him, I smelled acorns. I laid my arms on his chest, my hands on his shoulders, and said, Bell and Marigna sent me a vision today. I will have a child. I will marry you to complete us. I will marry you because I love you. Without you, I could not have finished my labyrinth. My cheeks were wet with tears. His thumbs wiped them away with tenderness. I pulled him to me, and when our lips touched, I felt a release of the tension of the day. In its place was an excitement for this night in bed as well as the years, no matter how few, ahead of us. I did not want this kiss to end. When we broke apart, we turned, arm in arm, to Bethan. Uncle, I said, I feel this is an auspicious time. We must marry now. We should not wait any longer. There is an ancient oak nearby. I turned to Laverne. May we be married under the oak? His hands squeezed mine. Yes, said Laverne, his eyes sparkling. I agree. It should be now. Laverne, I said, go to the tree and wait. I will get mother, then Bethan can marry us. He nodded as I turned and ran out of the hospice. Is it twelve moons already? Mother said. Mother, let's get started down the hill. You can talk to me as we walk. They are waiting for us, and we do not dare keep Bethan waiting too long. Bah! He thinks he is so important, but I knew him when our mother chased him all over the hilltop for teasing our hens. He was made to do his chores and mine when mother caught him. Sometimes I would tease the hens and blame him so I could go off and be with my friends for a day. Mother chuckled. He would get his revenge, though. 
I often found small animals or insects inside my dress. He never admitted it, but he would wear a big grin when I found them and screamed. We were through the gate and halfway down the hill, me impatiently but gently tugging on her arm, her taking one deliberate step at a time. And she continued, Twelve moons! That's how long it took your father and me to decide to marry. He was gone on one of his trading journeys for two moons. When he returned, he told me he had decided to marry me. I laughed. There was no decision to make in my mind. We were to be together. He was a part of my life, and I a part of his. When he told me, I remember, he swung me up in his arms and kissed me. Then we walked to your bed. You were three months old. He picked you up and cradled you. So gentle for such big arms, she said with a faraway look. He looked into your eyes, the reflection of his, and promised to take care of you for all your life. She stopped walking and coughed. We did not know how short a time we would have together, but the time we had together was good. He was a good father and husband. I missed him for a long time. Enough of the past. She waved me on as if telling me to walk faster. Let us go to celebrate the future. We approached the tree where Bethan, Laverne, and Heralt stood waiting. Torian would sleep a little longer, so Silius was there also. I waved, but before we walked closer, Mother pinched my ear and brought me close to her mouth. I have doubts about your marriage to him, Jana. You are not with child, I can tell. Is it best to be married to this man? Should you look for another man who can give you a child? She whispered loudly. You have been sleeping with him, I hear you, but there is no baby. Taking a deep breath to calm myself, I answered, Mother, today a sign was given to me. This is what the goddess wills. If it is to be, you will live to hold a grandchild. I hope to live to hold many, Jana. I want many grandchildren. It is the right of a mother to want grandchildren. The oak was near our sacred spring. We used the water under the oak to wash our feet and hands in purification rituals. Laverne and I used it when mixing our cures. It was a favorable place. My undercurrent shadows of concern about our life together begged as much good luck as we could receive in all ways. It was a good place to be married. We gathered in a circle, Bethan in the center. The trampled grass's fragrance wafted through the air. Flowers nestled in small clumps around the tree trunk, and above us the birds sang. The sky darkened. A cloud of ravens flew over without a sound and landed in a willow. A shiver rippled down my back. We were being watched. Morigno was there. My hand quivered in Laverne's strong hand. His grip tightened, and he smiled, reassuring. Bethan spoke. That you wish to be married does not surprise me. Do not think the longing looks you gave one another at my dinner table escaped me. I knew you were eating to gather strength to tumble through the night, he said gruffly, but with a twinkle in his eye. It is about time. I was beginning to wonder if I would have to make a demand for this to happen. When you first came, Laverne, I was unsure, wary of you, but you kept your promises. Bethan turned his head to look at me. Did I see a bit of moisture reflect the sunlight on his lashes? Jana, my sister's daughter, you grew to be like my own and pestered me as you would have your own father. But I am proud of you. You are a fine woman and healer. I thought I was losing a skilled weaver, 
but now you weave a path for our souls to follow. He now faced both Laverne and I, his hands palms up in front of us, and said, You teach us in the ways of our gods. Our clan is better because of your partnership. I have seen your work today and say this is good for our clan. At this, his arms, the tattoos of our clan around his wrists, rose over his head, spread in declaration. I call the attention of the gods and goddesses. I allow this marriage in my name. I join Laverne and Jana. They will live under my protection as long as they keep the clan laws. I declare this and will proclaim it to the clan. May the gods and goddesses bless this union with many good years and healthy children. Surprised, we stood in silence. This was the longest speech I had ever heard Bethan give. Well, Silius, asked Bethan, why did you carry out the red thread? Have you forgotten its purpose? Oh, oh, no, no, oh, chieftain, no, she stammered. Flushed, she lifted and tied Laverne's and my clasped hands with red thread wrapped three times around. Laverne kissed me deeply. I could do nothing but smile, my heart laughing. And so we were married. A lusty, rejoicing whoop split the sky, causing me to duck and the ravens to rise in somersaults and caw in escape. Bethan's yell and bear hug enveloped us all. My mother kissed me and then Bethan on his bearded cheek. You have done well with your life, she spoke into his ear. I often wondered what would happen to you when we were children. His belly shook in laughter. Laverne tried to hug everyone in return, but our tied hands restricted his movements. See, priest, Bethan said, she has already a hand on your freedom. I do not see it as a restriction, my friend, Laverne said with a smile at me. I see it as a promise to each other, a promise we made many years ago. I knew he referred to my first passage dream with him as a boy. Bethan's forehead wrinkled. He did not know about the dreams. He did not know Laverne and I touched our minds so long ago. With a shrug of his mighty shoulders, Bethan said, Now we go to eat. Invite all as we go. It will be a big celebration at my home tonight. I killed a hog yesterday. Let all bring food and drink, and we will sing and tell tales all night. I have two hares to give to the pot for dinner, said Silius. Geralt can pick them up on his way. I must stay with Torian tonight. Geralt gave her a kiss, and her arm curled around his waist as they walked back to the hospice. A flash of memory came to my mind. Geralt and Surtick walking away from Bethans after he ordered Geralt and I to be hand-fasted. Geralt's head hung, and he shuffled away. He loved another. He loved Silius. All came to pass as it should. We sat as honored guests at Bethan's table. Many came and more still as Bethan announced our marriage. He gave Laverne the honor to carve the roasted meat. Laverne transferred the knife into our bound hands and we both carved. Cheers of congratulations rang out. The night was long and filled with mead, peat smoke, poems of bravery, love songs, and music. We danced, kissed in the shadows, and laughed, our hands held with the red thread of our promise. The celebration lasted long past the moon's rise. Laverne and I stumbled home long after mother.
Laverne used his teeth, and we both used our free hands to untie the thread's knot. We were forbidden to cut it. He put the thread into his memory bag, crossed my arms and grasped the hem of my tunic, lifted it over my head, and Laverne came up behind me. He wrapped his arms around my waist and nibbled my neck just under my ear, causing my knees to grow weak. Chills ran down my body and my nipples stiffened. "'I cannot get ready for bed if you do not let me go,' I said. "'I am here to help you undress,' he whispered into my ear. His strong arms enveloped me, carrying his scent of honey and crushed acorns. No other person smelled like him. No other man could make me want to be surrounded by him forever. I fell into his arms, and he turned me around to face him. My breath came faster as my heart danced in my chest. Heat rushed up from my toes to my face, and my breast ached, waiting for his soft fingers to caress them. My body ached with desire. I buried my face into his chest, wanting his scent in my nose forever. Jana, when I think back on the time I did not know you, I wonder how I could have thought that I was alive. I need you. I am strong with you near me. Now with this contract, we will be together forever. You are now my family. You are my life. It is for you that I have waited so long. I said, I have taken no man before you. You are the one who taught me that to love is to feel the presence of the gods. My life will be lived as your partner, your wife. I will love you through this life and all we have hereafter. His gentle blue eyes misted. Then one of his hands left my waist and encircled my breast. My nipples hardened even more at his touch, and I gasped. I stood on my tiptoes and pulled his lips to mine. When our lovemaking was over, I lay next to him, weak, and rolled to him so my nose was against his ribs, inhaling his scent. His fingers combed through my hair, then his palm rested on the back of my head. We whispered promises of fealty. This night burned itself into my memories. It would be there until my death. We spent that night in a bed that smelled of sweet heather in each other's arms. The day of our marriage ended. Tomorrow I would follow my labyrinth. Please join me again for another chapter of The Fox by Arlene Radaski. Now enjoy the music of Steve McDonald's song, All My Days, from his album Highland Farewell. His music can be found at www.etherean.com who along with Steve have allowed me to use his music in my podcasts. Learn more about me at www.radasky.com I would be true for all of my days.
Oh. 